0: so not... people want to gather around as I
1: call to spread the news something when you going down there's a killer on the loose and maybe day and maybe night we'll get you when the time is right in your home when you're Feature Feature Design founder Steve Gibson has been creating large-scale art and making monsters and fantasy characters out of paint, clay, latex, silicone, and foam for more than 30 years. As a self-taught artist, Steve enjoys sharing his knowledge with anyone wishing to gain a broader approach to their own personal style. He additionally founded the Arts Underground in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, a unique, collaborative space for local artists. His award-winning video work can be seen in feature films The Feed (2010). And The Lost Within 2017, as well as numerous shorts, music videos, and commercial projects. Steve is a published writer, a cinematographer, producer, director, audio designer, musician, and editor who also happens to dabble in fine art photography. One film fan, Indie Film Review wrote The Lost Within is quality indie cinema that offers what could have been a rather mundane premise, but instead turns it on its head thanks to the slow burn delivery paying off and the creative means of character development allowing the normal to morph into the eerie. And the dramatic to graduate into thriller with style, he can be found on Instagram at Steev13, also at his websites CreatureFeatureDesign.com, TheArtsUnderground.com, Facebook for his Fist in Post Films LLC, and for The Dark Country, his band. So, Steve, if you would just out of the gate, would you say that you have an artistic vision, and if so, what is that? I've always been into art. I've always
0: been a uh... Painting, drawing. When I was a kid, I would draw superheroes. I got into a band when I was 13. Um, Was doing music stuff, did makeup when I was like 12 to 17 and special effects and that kind of thing. So it's always about kind of pursuing the next thing. I'm never really satisfied in one discipline of of art, whether it's fine arts, whether it's music, whether it's film. So I I like it all. So I I guess I throw everything at me. I just, I appreciate the whole sight and sound um, movement Color, texture, the whole thing. And so if I can work on projects that incorporate a number of these things, I'm happy as I'll get out. I mean, like, there, there's nothing better for me.
1: So, would you say you have less of a particular vision and just more of a creative drive? You just have to do something?
0: It's more of a drive, just I have to keep doing things. And I get bored with projects quickly. I'll do a series of, of works, uh, I'll do those for a few weeks, and then I decide I'm going to do something else over here. And, Film is the, is the same way. So I, I don't know if I've got a, a, a vision except for keep doing everything as often as you can. So my days are spent painting, and <clears throat> especially now with doing editing, things are kind of locked in, a lot of marketing. So I like the creative process to a dozen different kinds of mediums. So my vision would just be soak it all in, and don't concentrate on just one thing. You know, don't be just the, you know, the jack of that you know, single trade. You know, I want to spread out and do a dozen different things at any given time.
1: Yeah. I wonder if we're similar in a certain way. Creatively, sometimes I will, I'll have kind of like an amorphous idea of something and then just go with it. So if if in music that might be, I'm just really liking this chord structure, let's just play with it. And all of a sudden that becomes a song or, Mm -hmm. you know, I make little memes to keep my sanity. And so sometimes I'll just say, well, I know I'm trying to say this thing. So let's just see what happens when I start messing around. That's pretty much what you do?
0: Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Um, I will be hit with ideas from any given direction, any given time. So a lot of times I will uh, just put it on a back burner if I'm busy with something else. But a lot of times it will just take over my life. And it's like hearing a song and saying, I really love the song, and then listen to it 10 times in a row just because. And then you get tired of it, you know, after a day. Like that was the best song in the world, but now I'm kind of sick of it. So I'm on to the next thing. That's kind of my creative process with, uh, with most of these things is want to keep momentum going forward, but it keeps kind of splitting out in different directions.
1: So as a creative spirit, when you look back, what was like the first thing that you kind of dove into creatively? It was one of the first things that you really did.
0: I was big into superheroes when I was a little kid. So in elementary school, I realized that I could draw pictures and sell them to classmates. <laughs> and I would take comic, I, this is stupid in hindsight, but I would take comic books, tear the covers off, glue them to cardboard, and I'd cut it out into jigsaw pieces and sell it as an original jigsaw puzzle. And I'd make a buck or something. And I would make medallions people could wear out of cardboard and, you know, put Thor or the Hulk or something on them. So I was into commerce at a very young age. I realized people wanted to to have these things. So yeah, probably drawing uh, and superheroes and stuff was my first love. And that's what really kind of got the creative side going.
1: That's really unique, too. Were you an only child?
0: No. I'm the youngest of three. We're two years apart. My brother's four years older, my sister's two years older. They were doing their own thing. They had their own friends, circuit. You know, we all grew up on Saturday morning cartoons and, you know, TV and that. Um, I just kind of gravitated towards this other kind of hero side of things. And then I got that turned into Monsters, Universal, you know, Frankensteins, things like that, watching late-night TV. Um, so we shared similar interests about it some things, but I definitely dove in much deeper uh in these areas. My brother's a musician, um, actually kind of full time right now because he's retired, but he plays in an Allison Chains cover band. Oh Uh, nice. Well maybe not so much now, but that's that's how he makes his money, which is fun. But yeah, I kind of uh got more into the um the horror side of things, little kid horror, not like hardcore stuff. And that opened up my whole world to this whole other thing and I started getting into that and then special effects and makeup and And that was well before the band stuff kicked in. Um, So I was, I I liked the behind the scenes, like the Hollywood stuff, the Disney world, kind of behind the scenes underground, you know, how do they make these things light up and how do they make things move? And um, so that became a fascination when I was still, you know, early, very early teens. Um, And that just, it went from there. So you were just curious. I was very curious how they did a lot of this stuff. And I loved, there's something magical about it. I mean, it's that whole again. It's that behind-the-scenes Hollywood stuff. People will watch those making-of, you know, documentaries of you know how they did this, how they did Avatar, how they did you know Titanic. People still have a fascination with how they put things together. But for me, it was I soaked it in. I bought all the magazines. I would buy books on how they did force perspective and how they did mirror gags and matte paintings and and all this stuff. And I just kept bringing it in and more and more and more and just became part of my life. And so I was kind of a little bit removed. Um, when I was younger from, I mean, I had friends, I had the normal kind of kid, you know, lifestyle growing up, but you know, I would put on weird music and I'd paint my walls and I would, you know, kind of get in my own head and they encouraged that. They really didn't care, my parents. So they were supportive and when I'd go put makeup on and scrub my face and come down and I'd show them and say, oh, that's pretty cool. Look at you, you're a zombie or a werewolf or whatever. Then I would, yeah, and I'd run back upstairs and, you know, think of something else. But I had a whole kit of makeup that I spent all my allowance money on, all my, selling of anything that I could I buy all these other uh, tools and and props and things like that so they didn't discourage me so I just kept going with it my my friends we did a a few short films eight millimeter stuff someone would have an old you know camera their dad would have and we'd go out and, and shoot things I have no idea what that stuff is anymore the imagination is the creation of something from nothing that's that's really been my drive since I was that age
1: and your affinity for um, I don't know would you describe it as horror what, what would you call that but you're, you're into a lot of oddity dark bizarre things
0: <laughs> I do well you looking at this thing behind me
1: Well, I've been in your house, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I've been in my house. Um, i I have an appreciation of, of odd things for sure I think there's an, a neat kind of subset to humanity that kind of gets either whitewashed or kind of brushed off to the side it's kind of the it's a very mild kind of gothic-y sense that I just, I, I love the Coney Island feel. It's, it's the same thing, Coney Island's amusement parks, haunted houses, you know, it's that. It's, it's that bigger fascination with just that's kind of a little on the darker side and, and they just kind of blended together for me. So it's not really a, a love of horror per se, because there's a lot of horror movies I just, I won't watch. There's, there's a lot of mm, gratuitous kind of things I'm just not into. In real life stuff, I can't watch anybody bleed about anything. In real life, I will have to sit down. But I love it if I know it's a gag. Somebody's neck is burst open; their head's caught. I think that's great because I know it's an effect. But real life stuff, I can't. Yeah, no, no. I, I'm much too sensitive for that.
1: It sounds like you had a pretty decent childhood. So was yours more of life is too cookie <coughs> cutter clean? I need to think outside of this box somehow, or is it just happened to be what your interests were?
0: I think I've picked up on it on my own. I'm not a Satanist. I'm not anything like a lot of people lay claim to kind of a, a, jumping into a lifestyle of that. That's not necessarily me. I love surrounding myself with, with oddities and horrific things and pickled punks and jars and all that two-headed parakeet I've got at the studio. So things like that are really fascinating to me, but it doesn't come from a dark place of brooding and it's not, I didn't grow up as a Gothic kind of a kid. I just grew up very artsy, not, not a sports person, more you know, leaning towards music and drawing and painting and things like that. So very kind of artsy, but keeping the, the darker side over here, so it's not too far away. But that wasn't my whole upbringing either.
1: So would you say that you're a fan of the Wes Cravens and uh, who's the other guy I'm thinking of that did like Hellraiser and whatnot?
0: Oh, Clive Barker.
1: Clive Barker. Would you say that you're a fan of those people for their art- artistry or no?
0: I, I am a fan of things. Okay, so when the original Friday the 13th came out, uh, Sean Cunningham uh, directed that one, and Tom Savini, like makeup guy, he, he did the effects for that. Which he's kind of a name now. Um, I saw that when I was a teenager. I think it came out in 1980. So I was 16, no, 14 when I saw that. Um, but I saw it in the theater and that had a big impact on me because I knew even at that age, what the effects were going to be like cutting a neck or so to me, kind of the West Cravens, the, um, even stuff that Rob Zombie is doing now with his films, there's still a fascination. I think we all kind of grew up with the same mindset of some of the stuff is really cool. It doesn't have to get too dark. A lot of the, um, Clyde Barker stuff, uh, Hellraiser and, um, Nightbreed and things like that have, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of fun, but they're not nearly as much fun as Freddy Krueger might be. Okay. I mean, fun in a way that um, it's supposed to be a little more broad and over the top. You know, Texas Chainsaw is another thing that I'm not going to watch that again and again. I saw it. It was fine. But it was a little too, I don't like mean-spirited things. I like things to be a little more fun and a little more brightly lit so you can see what's happening. I don't like things jumping off the shelf out of a closet, you know, when you open a door. I don't like jump scares like that. Um, I love haunted houses, but um, I think in film, it's too easy to, uh, to startle people with something too shocking. It's not necessary. I mean, I think there's, there's something fun about the more, you know, gothic kind of uh, intensity you can build up, if that makes sense.
1: You said that you were born and raised in New Jersey. Is that right?
0: Um, I was born in New Jersey. We moved when I was three. I grew up in Maryland right between, like literally smack dab between Baltimore's here, DC's here, Laurel, the town I grew up in, was right in between them. So I got to know both cities fairly well.
1: You started in New Jersey. You probably have zero memory of that. Then you, okay. (laughs) You You go to to the DMV, which is eventually where you met Jessica before you came up to Pennsylvania. Is that correct?
0: Um, Met her, I was living in Frederick, Maryland at the time. And I was I just finished up work at a TV station I was doing, I was producing a five night a week live entertainment music show. It was crazy. It was a lot of fun, but that show had ended, left the TV station, which was based in Northern Virginia, um, moved to Frederick and then met her there while I was doing other small things, doing AOL series work and my own productions and that kind of thing. So yeah, I met her about a year, close to a year before moving up to Pennsylvania.
1: So, had you met her before you were ever involved? Because I know you were married before you have two kids.
0: Yeah. So, Emily and Jordan are my my son and my daughter. Wonderful kids. They're both Emily's in Philadelphia, and Jordan's uh, near Rehoboth Beach uh, in Delaware. He's in production. She does web design and and a number of other things. Both very talented kids. Um, Their mom and I had split up when they were very young. They were three and five when we had uh, um, when we had separated. She has remarried. Allison's a wonderful woman. Um, She's got a great guy in her life and uh, her family is awesome. So we still talk, we still get along very well. Um, And it was after that, um, I'd actually remarried a second time for a brief, a brief period of time. It was wonderful, but it was very short. It was only two years. Um, That uh, kind of didn't work out so well. And we learned a lot since then. I still keep in touch with her. She's a wonderful woman as well. She's down in Texas. But um, yeah, I kind of batted around a few different ways. And then um, when I had met Jessica was, again, post-TV station work, doing my own thing in Frederick. And um, she was tied in with the stand-up comedy side in the D.C. area. And I was tied in with the stand-up D.C. comedy side not as a stand-up comic, but as somebody who would produce TV shows that they would be on. I would get them to act in films. And because usually stand-up comics, are, they're, they got good timing, they got good faces, they're good physical people. So I, I tend to gravitate towards comics um, when actors are, are scarce or when I'm looking for a particular kind of a thing. Um, so I was working on a short with a comedian friend of mine and I needed a, a driver. Hopefully the story's not gonna be too long or, or convoluted. So we're putting together this, this 10 minute thing. Um, main actor, so we need to get a driver, female driver to act in a scene in the short film, little comedy thing, bizarre comedy. He says, I'm just the person. So he calls Jessica, she comes over, she does the driving in the film, um, works out well, we hit it off famously. And then I lost touch with her for a little bit. Flash forward, we meet again at a backyard party that, again, mutual friends are having, um, connect again. It, it just goes back and forth until eventually, yeah, I got the nerve to ask her out, and she finally said yes, and that was, uh, yeah, that was almost a year before moving up here to, uh, to Pennsylvania.
1: And was that primarily because you had found a job in Pennsylvania, or you wanted to be closer to family, or? All my family is
0: down in Maryland. My sister's in Northern Virginia. My brother's in Southern Maryland. My mom was in Maryland at the time. The uh, reason I came up here was Bucknell, answered an RFP for uh, uh, a video they needed to do for a big commencement, you know, 10 minute big, you know, uh, it was a sizable project. And the girl who was working for them at the time had sent out proposals to many companies all around the areas so of Maryland, PA, New York, I think she just scattered it all around. And so I answered back and said, okay, well, here's what we would do. Here's the budget, you know, this is what we consider. And she looked at our reels and she got a chance. Our reels, looked at my reel, got a big you know group with me. Um, so she checked out my stuff and, and we chatted and got along. I went up and so that job that I got for Bucknell led to many other jobs. Every other weekend I was traveling from Frederick to, to Lewisburg to keep doing more and more bio pieces, faculty pieces, student pieces, that kind of thing. We got along, I mean, it was a good thing. And eventually she called after a few months of doing that, actually almost a year of doing that, She said, what would you think about moving up here regularly? Because we need someone full time. So they created, they didn't have anybody doing video at the time. So they created a position um, to do all the in-house marketing videos for the university. That was 2008 when I came up to do that and been here ever since. Wow. And I don't work there anymore, if anybody's curious. So I ended that, that was almost 10 years there. And now I'm doing my own full-time freelance work again.
1: No kidding. Wow. You're in my world, huh? Or or I'm in your world, one of the two. We're in the same world. Yeah.
0: It is feast or famine. I mean, anybody in the arts can attest to that. There's no, I don't know anybody in this kind of, in this line of work, whether it's in theater, whether it's in comedy, whether it's in film, painting, what have you, that's just flush all the time. They just have so much work and so much money. They don't even know what to do. But it's more like I have to, I, I love this thing that I'm doing. So even if I'm not making much this week, next week, hopefully I'll make a little bit more because um, I'm hungry. And, you know, I'll compromise my craft a little bit to do this thing, commission for this thing over here. And then I'll go back to really what I love doing over here. So a lot of the work that I do, I've had some clients I really don't care for uh, in the past, but they pay a bill because um, I know that making money over here then I can either do a free job over here for somebody that I really care about, or, you know, a greatly reduced rate, because I've got money from this group over here, this healthcare group, I could take them or leave them, but they gave me a lot of money, so I'm gonna move that over to here for things I'm passionate about.
1: Yeah, I don't know that the art versus commerce game ends for anybody, in at least in our world right now. You know, like, people that are huge Hollywood stars, that uh, some of them are some of the best actors of our of our, time like Philip hoffman yeah. Hoffman's, you know, mm. you name it. They're they're doing they do the couple big Hollywood movies throughout the year, um, because they pay a tremendous amount of money. And then they do like three or four indie films where they can really exactly. get what they love. And
0: and I on, on the other side of the camera from, from where you generally are, or for the most part are, um I feel like I, I, I feel very fortunate that people that have the talents that you have only help me. And if you say, Hey, I'm willing to do scale. I'm willing to, you know, work outside of a union or I'm willing to do this. Um, you know, we can, we can figure something out because they love the craft. That only helps me because I'm like, Hey, I got 500 bucks. Can I get you for two days? Right. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Well, he's not taking calls now anyway, but (laughs) somebody of his caliber, I agree. He's a brilliant actor. Um, but you just can't make Hollywood calls with central Pennsylvania money, you know, and I've never wanted to go West Coast. I've never, you know, New York is is not really my scene. Um, Production-wise, it's just, there's the, it's thick with them.
1: I have wondered uh, that about you, like why you never came out here.
0: To me, there's always going to be somebody that's got more money invested into gear, whether it's post-production gear or camera. Um, people were moving into 4K and I was still doing just regular 1080 shooting, but I've had to be more creative. They were getting these, $5,000 lenses. And I was buying like old 1970s film camera lenses. That I thought it looked really good, which they did, but it's just a different kind of a mind thing. I could not keep up with the momentum that was being built. And when you talk about places like New York, even DC, where I came from, um, it, people had said, I, I'm, I'm investing a hundred thousand dollars in my gear. Cause I'm going to get really big contracts in and they would get contracts, but you need that hundred thousand dollars to put into stuff to be able to get those contracts. Right. And to me, it's more, I'd rather light something with a cell phone, you know, shining into a tin can and keep it, keep it interesting, keep it creative than to be able to have everything at your disposal. You know, you should really work with what you have. Um, the first movie, you mentioned The Feed that we did back in 2010. The only reason why we picked that theater as a location was because it was a free location because Jessica worked. Um, if she worked in a shoe store, it'd be set in a shoe store. You know, I didn't write the movie based around, you know, an idea that I had necessarily from before. It was around what you have, what's convenient for you. The same thing with The Lost Within, the second feature that I did that you were in. I wrote that around what, what's around here. What's central Pennsylvania? You know, let's go to The Daily Item because it's right down the street. Um, let's go to, uh, you know, a, quote unquote amish country that's 40 minutes away in Lock Haven. Because it's all closed. I'm not going to set it in Hawaii or in, or in New York um or something that's got iconic images that you have to go someplace to get no it's going to be in farmland and maybe a downtown city-ish thing that could be sunbury it could be williamsport um i think you you write it's like writing to your strengths you know you've got to know as a writer you have to know what you're able to churn out you can push yourself but you know kind of what you're able to do film is the same side you know work with people that you can get, the actors we can get. I've been very blessed to have great actors that I've worked with. Yeah, you too, you. I just love the fact that you kind of paint you into a corner that you've got to get creative with. How do you get this on screen? How do you make this the best that you can possibly do? And then when that's done, you go on to something else.
1: Yeah, you know, my favorite story I've ever been told is the show Lost. And uh, there's one of the writers wrote in there, Struggle is nature's way of strengthening, but the one that I was looking up was a, a Denzel Washington quote and one of his big speeches was Ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship And it kind of I think speaks to what you were saying where if you don't have the budget and everything at your disposal You have, that forces creativity now. So now you've yeah. got to become yeah. better
0: and That's what I have the Roger Corman way of doing things the Lloyd Kaufman You know George Romero the people that like how do we get this thing to be accomplished Uh do what you, you know. What do you have? What's what's available? You have ketchup. Hey, there's some blood. You got some ketchup on something. Um, and yeah, you 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 grab with anything that you have around you and and incorporate that. Same thing with art and same thing with with music. You know, you find the best people you can play music with that want to play with you, and and you do music stuff.
1: Is that how the Dark Country came about?
0: Um, the Dark Country started. Um, that was okay. So. The guitar player, Jeff Halkowitz, um, singer, Brianna uh, Healy-Durr, um, were in a band with Pete Groff, the drummer. They were Snakes Are Strong. And I, the name of the band, Snakes Are Strong. They played in the Um Kind of a power punk, just uh, three people, two guitars, drums. Um, and I got to go and hang out with them. And I would help them with lighting at their show. And um, I gave them an idea of like, put a, do a, a, get a video projector and find an old movie, you know, something colorful, bloody, gory kind of thing and project that on. There's your lighting right there. You don't need big lights, you know, just project the movie on yourselves and there's your lighting. People can actually watch something else that's going on. Soften the focus a little bit so they're not too distracted. Um, so hang out with them and then they started doing stuff with Derek Scott, the other singer, and Maria Balsells, who's with Pete, drummer. Um, and then we got to, let's just go ahead and get together. And that was, you know, shit five years ago, something like that, five or six years ago. And we played a total of four gigs. We put out the CD, which is really the whole thing. We just wanted to do like an album, like a concept album. Let's let's make this. No covers, you know, we didn't wanna just do gig after gig. Um, So yeah, we just made very theatrical shows at a few places and um, yeah, played in the, I've got an outbuilding over here at the house, kind of a big shed. we would jam in there, you know, once a week, never do anything else, but just play the same songs over and over again. And then uh, made a record and then singer moved over here and, you know, so the band kind of split up.
1: Mixed bag question. What were you looking forward to before this happened? How has this uh, helped your creativity and what have you done to be creative during quarantine?
0: So there's a few projects that I had in the books. I had deposits for video projects um, that was supposed to be filmed end of the winter, beginning of the spring those have been put on hold. So that's kind of off down the road. Um, other music videos, obviously treatments that I'd had that were approved on hold because it involves large groups of people or interaction and this kind of thing. So there's things kind of waiting in the wings. Um, the uh, Arts Underground, the the collective that I run in downtown, at, um, well, my my company Creature Feature Design started in the Pajama Factory in Williamsport. We're gonna see you and and a lot of fr- mutual friends that we've had up there. But then moving to town and starting this collective, this, you know, seven or eight people in one room sharing, a, you know, a big space of um, studios, that was put on hold the last two months. So that's been dark for the most part. We can't sell our art. We can't open the doors and invite the public in. We certainly can't have any classes. So we're all itching for that time to get back in there where it's like, I want to do a charcoal portrait class. or I want to do a sculpting class or... Makeup or body painting or something else. So, there's things that I want to do myself and the other artists want to do, but we're unfortunately on hold and having to create art in our own homes. So, I'm painting here, I'm doing editing here. With the video side of things, um, I was, even though those other things are, are over here, kind of waiting until things loosen up, I'm getting calls from other people because things like the Zoom meetings. Um, I'm, I've started working for uh, Clark University, doing some um, editing for them where they are doing a lot of meetings, they need to get it out to the community, um, to the students and, and faculty and, and parents. Um, so I'm one of the people they brought in as a resource to be editing together things that go out, you know, in this limited kind of fashion in this screen here. So work is still coming in and, and COVID friendly music video ideas and again, painting when I can, um, doing a lot of house stuff um, like everybody I think that we can still make it through this. We just have, we're, we're, we're punting at this point, you know, we can't, we're not driving out of the end zone. We're, we're having to kind of, we're still in the game, but we've got to kind of relax a little bit and not beat ourselves up because there's only so much we can do. Um, and it's a matter of kind of retooling the way that you think about the creative process with music. People are doing Skype and zoom band sessions and choral work and, um, you know, Frankenstein being at the National Theater, you know, watch our stuff for free and there's Benedict and everybody can see. So I think there's a lot of things that are going on. They're trying to be more friendly with this whole online experience. And Netflix obviously stocked through the roof. Um, there's, there's a, a reason um, behind people staying creative. And I think that creative minds will never fold during this time. We shouldn't be folding. We have to be very um, particular and how do we retool this to stay as creative as we were back in December? Um, sure, things are on hold, but it can't be just how many times can I sweep the floor? There's there's other things that could be considered. There's pe- there's things like this. There's, there's other outlets. Um, and, um, you know, we'll get through this. You know, I, I feel very confident we'll get through it. And it'll be a little bit different, but I think it'll be we're being forced into creativity. I mean, the whole world is. You know, we're already ahead of the game. <laughs> Yeah, the rest, they're catching up with us.
1: Yeah. And fortunately, there's some creative spirits like we are that have their hands in multiple of, of creativity and art. So you know, I can't really act right now in a way that's meaningful for me. But what I can do is, is settle back into, you know what? I love people and i and I miss interviewing people and talking about important things. So here we are. And yes. yeah. And for you, you're, you're getting to freelance here and there because you can do so from your computer. Right. Um, and I'm playing video games for the first time in like 10 years. (laughs) So yeah, you were potentially going to have people listening to this who are would be filmmakers or would be artists in in various forms. So what kind of words would you say to someone who maybe was starting to get interested in something like you're into already, but it got put on hold, couldn't even get started. What do you tell them to focus on looking forward to the quarantine being over?
0: Well, one of the benefits we have about this whole, like, binging process we're going through, whether it's Netflix or Hulu or anything else, Amazon, there's a lot of good content that's out there. From a filmmaker's standpoint, we can follow storylines much more intimately because our focus is on that for a whole day or two days or, or a long weekend. Um, where We can see developments. We can see plot points. We can see things they worked on for a whole year condensed down to a weekend for us, so <clears throat> to me, there's something kind of magical about this um, this time, because we can scrutinize so much more, and we were almost forced into doing this. So you can pick up on dialogue. You can look at lighting. What kind of lenses are they using? Wide lens. It's a fifty millimeter, eighty-five. So there's different. You know, what, what does their background look like? So there's things where we can actually teach ourselves at this point because we're looking at a screen, and it's plot points, it's developments, all this character stuff that they didn't really count on us being like this the whole time. You know, watching a whole thing end to end, but as a filmmaker, stand this is the best time to be. Um, this is cooling. You know, this is this is this is wonderful actually because you, it's all condensed. It's all pushed together. And you can't do anything else but just really focus on that. Um, art, same thing. Um, there's still people doing wonderful works out there. You wish you could touch it. There's we're missing that kind of tactile sensation of, of being able to run our hands over sculpture or something. If you do that. Right? Um, but there's, there's things we're missing, um, but there's also people are creating things, beautiful, beautiful works, um, carving a, a potato for like George Washington. Who did that before? There's 10 people doing that right now.
1: Yeah. So we're all kind of heading in that same direction. Steve, thank you so much. This has been a treat for me. I'm sure it will be for the listeners. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Steve.